Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Happy New Year. Glad to be here. Uh, RJ, TJ, good to be on with you guys. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. And why the intense music? I don't know. Thought it'd be cool to spice things up. Because we are 34 episodes in Driver's Game Podcast. Why not switch it up a little bit? A wild weekend at Nashville Super Speedway. Trucks, Xfinity, Cup. Long races. Fans were there. We discuss next. Welcome to the Drivers Meeting Podcast, presented by Bet Online. And welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Another great episode ahead of you. Glad that you are tuned in. A lot of things to discuss on this show, including uh, all the races this weekend at Nashville Super Speedway, which were awesome, by the way. Crowd was packed in. The energy was there. It was electric. And the return of NBC Sports coverage to NASCAR for the Xfinity and Cup Series was back this weekend. So hopefully everyone enjoyed Father's Day. We got a lot to talk about, uh, including, like we just said, Nashville and 2022 silly season moves and rumors and stuff like that just ahead later in the show. As always, we got to thank our great, great partner, Bet Online, for hopping on for the show once again. Um, you know, Bet Online, let's, let's talk about betting for a second. I mean, Kyle Larson, you got to bet on Kyle Larson. I mean, who else are you going to bet on to take him down? And that might be something worth taking. I mean, you they talk about the odds before the races, you know, guys down there like Tyler Reddick, uh, even Kyle Busch, his odds sometimes aren't even uh, that high. So, man, it's uh, Kyle Larson has been the dominant force, uh, but make sure you use Bet Online to make these bets because the month of June is heating up with the entire sports action, not just NASCAR. You got basketball playoffs, you got hockey playoffs, you got baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. A lot of things going on, and football probably returning soon enough uh, rather than later with preseason football, I believe, in a few months in the regular season as well. Uh, so make sure you use Bet Online. They have all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit so before the next tip off face off or pitch head over to bet online and start playing today bet online your online sportsbook expert so this weekend in nashville we had a full capacity crowd uh for the cup series race big crowd for the xfinity series race pretty good crowd for the truck race i can remember how much we're we're there for that uh viewership was great yeah i think you had 1.1 million for the xfinity race i mean yeah you guys have been right around that all year which is great and on NBCSN, and I know you guys have a few races on the big network, NBC, I believe, later in the later in the year. Um, the one I can think of right now is Charlotte Roval. I know is on there. I think Talladega, some other races are on NBC. I yeah, I think maybe Texas usually is on there. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we got some big races coming up and it's really cool to see the numbers up uh, overall. Um, I saw it was just really just a big weekend for, for NASCAR and motorsports in general. SRX uh, did really well uh, in the ratings. They were up. So big motorsports weekend. And, and really, it would be hard to say that Nashville wasn't a success from a rating standpoint, from a crowd capacity standpoint, from uh, really a Jeff Gluck race poll standpoint, even though he said it with, with gritted teeth. Because uh, he feels like all the 750 truthers are out there, like voting in the poll. Um, but you know what? I felt like it was a pretty good race. And I feel like the low downforce package wins again. And the people that are motorsports fans, people that are racing fans, the people that are NASCAR fans, do appreciate this package in this style of racing more. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I appreciated it. I thought the Xfinity race was really good. I thought the truck race was your typical, just, you know, Friday night shootout. I mean, had a great, great, great finish too. I mean, Ryan yeah. Priest scores the win. Grant Enfinger's been on a roll this year. I, I love that battle they had going there. Enfinger versus Priest. It was like both of them were really just going for a win. I mean, none of them are fighting for anything in the truck series. I mean, Grant Enfinger isn't eligible for the playoffs. He's just going for wins. Ryan Priest is trying to prove himself. He did. We've talked about Ryan Priest on here. We've talked about him for a second. I mean, we know he's a wheelman, and he said after the race, he just wants everyone to, to think and remember Ryan Priest as a racer. And He goes out there, first truck start ever, not just of the season, ever, Gets another one this weekend at Pocono, but first truck start ever gets the win in the 17 for, for Dave Gillen racing. I mean, what are your thoughts on Ryan priest getting victory lane? Boy, he had to earn it. Didn't he? I mean, really had to fight off uh, there at the end, uh, had to make a pass uh, for second, had to make a pass for the win. Um, and you saw how he learned over the course of the night, how to use the air in those trucks and, I don't feel like there's anything we need to say about Ryan Priest that hadn't already been said. I mean, this is a guy that delivers time and time again when put in a situation where he can go win a race. Uh, he has done it. He has done it in uh, modifieds. He has done it in trucks. He has done it in Xfinity. Uh, and even though he's been on a smaller team in the Cup Series, uh, I feel like he's always performed uh, to the level of the equipment that he's been in uh, in every form of racing he's ever been in. So. I uh, thought that was really neat. So you're referencing something there that if everybody didn't see it, that was my guy, Matt Weaver, uh, the journalist uh, who was down there covering the race um, in Nashville. And it kind of asked him uh, as a follow-up, uh, basically, how did he want to be remembered uh, in the sport, which I feel like is a really good, thoughtful question. And Ryan responded by saying he wanted to be known as a racer who did whatever it took to win. And it's hard to say that he's not going to be remembered that way. Right. And, and that also was an answer from a guy that sounds like he had a little bit of a murkier future ahead of him. Right. Like, would he be so quick to say that and reflect on his NASCAR career if he felt like he had a lot of years left? Uh, because what we know is with the charter market changing, Ryan priest currently driving an open chartered car. Uh, it's, there's nothing guaranteed for Ryan priest next year. No, nothing guaranteed for Ryan Priest, and and he had yeah, it wasn't easy, like you said, that truck race. I mean, he had to get. If I had to pick like a Ryan Newman of the truck series, I'd I'd kind of compare him to Grant Enfinger. That guy's hard to pat. He will make it yeah. tough on you. And I that's I mean I love Grant for that. He's a racer, and he fought Ryan Priest for it, and ultimately lost the war at the end. Ryan Priest got it, but yeah, you mentioned that they're running an open car, and it 
noticed it even more because they didn't attempt the all-star open because they didn't have to, they were in a chartered car, um, but not, you know, guaranteed to run the full season. The hope is that they do. Um, but yeah, future unknown. One of those drivers that's a free agents and you know, you don't know how much funding he can bring. Is he a guy? I feel like he was, he would be a guy that would benefit from a John Hunter Nemechek type move, maybe going down, run it. If this cup options aren't open, maybe going down to a competitive trucker Xfinity team and running a full season. Do you think that could be maybe a good option for him if it's there? Well, right. And we know that this is going to come down to funding. Right. And, and I just want to clarify, really, you mentioned the guy that kind of brought up this whole thing that we're talking about here, Grant Infinger. Grant Infinger said if he was going to lose, he liked losing to a racer such as Ryan Priest, right? Like he had a lot of respect for him, which couple of things that we're probably saying within that, right? Number one, he's got a lot of respect for Ryan Priest, but also, what does that mean? He probably doesn't have as much respect for some of the other guys that are probably like 18 and 19 years old in the series, right? And how could he? Because that's a guy that had to basically grind it out in ARCA, running his own equipment, much like what I've been doing with Martin's Motorsports, and had to grind it out, grind it out, and finally got his chance, uh, basically working as a mechanic, over there at Thor Sport and kind of took that chance and, and was helping them with their ARCA program there towards the end of it um, when they were running Frank Kimmel up there. And that kind of just got him in the door and, and maybe got him an opportunity up there uh, at Thor Sport. So he had to earn it. Ryan Priest had to earn it really hard. And so that's what parlayed that question to Ryan Priest. They told him that Grant said that if he was going to lose, he was, he was happy that, to lose to a racer what did that mean to Ryan? And then Ryan started kind of basically being like, that's how I want to be remembered is as a, a winner, as a racer. And again, that just seems like a guy that feels like he's kind of on the way out. And it's like, man, is this the guy that, that we're losing? Because like, what has he done to be kicked out? Right. It's like, okay, he's, he's on a mid-level team. He's finishing in the middle. That's kind of what happens at the cup level. And it's like, well, apparently we forget that these guys are so good until they come down to a lower series and get in a race winning capable car. Like, keep that in mind. That 17 of, of DGR, that was a race winning capable truck. We all believe that they have good equipment over there. But to do it in one race and execute at that level and beat Todd Gilliland, who's in a truck every week, and to beat Grant Infinger, who for some reason doesn't have a playoff waiver, but is basically in a truck every week, uh, whatever we, we maybe get into that another time, but like, these are guys that are regulars and you went down there and beat them at their own game at, at a new track. Now Ryan's in there trying to win the race, of course. Right. But we know why he was really there. He was really there to try to get some experience for the cup race on Sunday. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in position to maybe win the race. And it's like, Hey, all right, well now I'm really going for this. And he pulled it off. It was really cool to see. Uh, I mean, Ryan's a guy that I have a ton of respect for. Um, just like a lot of other racers have a ton of respect for Ryan Priest. And boy, it'd be a real shame if in the top divisions of NASCAR, we lose another person like that. Um, a person that I look to as a comp to that, RJ, is somebody like Rico Abreu, who yeah. has won everything you want him to win at a dirt level, has a huge following of fans and kind of a grassroots group of fans. And when that leaves for no other reason, except money, 
that feels like it is a little bit of a detriment to what we're doing up here at the top levels. Like those are the guys that should be able to make it. Josh Berry is a guy that comes to mind now who has run late miles for forever, developed a following, developed a ton of respect that he's earned at that level. He's getting his opportunities now. And I'll tell you right now, RJ, he's probably getting the biggest applause when we do driver intros at these racetracks out of anybody in the Xfinity series. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because it's organic, right? Nobody cheers for Tommy Joe Martins because they're not quite sure who Tommy Joe Martins is outside of just me running 20th in the Xfinity series. And I understand that that's probably not the most eye-popping thing, right? They know Josh Berry because he's won every late model race around here, and he's driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s team, and he's, he's getting his, his chance, right? Like, everybody knows this is his shot. And, of course, that's a story that everybody likes to wrap their arms around. So it's a little disappointing – here, here I am being negative, but it's a little disappointing that we're talking about the future of a guy that I think has done everything in the world to prove himself at this level, and yet he's got an uncertain future. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, yeah, and Josh Berry, he ran late models. Obviously, that connection was he ran late models for Dale Earnhardt Jr., for Junior Motorsports, and he had uh, he ran races before, uh, you know, years back for Junior Motorsports. Got an opportunity, ran consistently, never got an opportunity from – Anybody else in the Xfinity series ran late models until Dale Jr. called him up years later. Um, I also look at a guy, Ty Majeski, Ty Majeski, late model guy, goes out, wins late model races all the time. Um, had a ride at Nice Motorsports last year, Roush before, all basically, and he's never ran a full season. They were all basically part time deals. The Nice was supposed to be full time, funding ran out. Um, but yeah, I look at Ty Majeski as a guy in that same race as now in his second race for Thor Sport, right? A race winning yeah. truck gets in. He's got two top tens already uh, in his two races this season. So I think good job by Ty Majeski, but even better for Ryan Priest. And we've talked, yeah, we talked about Ryan Priest so much. The way he came up, right? Where he ran for JD Motorsports some races and kind of handpicked his races that he got to race for Joe Gibbs racing one, two races for that team, the Xfinity series and limited amount of starts with the team got his opportunity at JTG Doherty, who's not, you know, the greatest team in the cup series, they're a mid-level team and he's running where probably they should run um, with exception for some weeks. Will they run worse and some weeks they'll run better than that. So yeah, it, it is crazy that we really don't know what the future holds for Ryan Priest, but I feel like a good spot for him to be in is with KHI with Kevin Harvick, you know, the guy that got him that truck series ride in the 17 hunt brothers pizza, all that stuff. So maybe I feel like that's, it's kind of my sliver of hope is maybe that under KHI, maybe Kevin Harvick will, you know, they'll work some things to maybe get him something uh, for next year. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be completely sitting on the sidelines all year next year, but, but there is a level of, of uncertainty to this that we know primarily comes from funding and, and i'm just tired of telling the same story 20 different ways every year with guys that we know are talented enough to be here yeah exactly so let's let's talk about maybe a few more racers uh, that we saw this weekend ross chastain best career cup series finish second place i mean that whole cup series race i mean we talked about liking the race the resin the racetrack it widened out a lot like I knew I felt like there were going to be two grooves with everything that they were doing. But there were more than that. There was the track widened out a lot more than I thought, probably a lot more than many of the drivers thought. Um, and Ross Chastain, we had some strategy in stage three where him and a group of others, it was really him, Stenhouse Suarez that came down. They pit, 
topped off on fuel. Everyone else took the track position. We know Kyle Larson was just too dominant to be passed by anybody, even when he was saving fuel. Um, so he got the win, but Ross Chastain, big day for him in the 42. They ran up front the majority of the day, got pit road issues, which put them back there to make the choice to go on a different strategy. And it paid off second place yeah. finish for him. Sixth place for Stenhouse big days for people that are right outside in the bottom four uh, looking in into the playoffs. So Ross Chastain, I mean a big spark because it was a slow start to the season for them. And that's expected in their first year, but now they've really hit it off a bunch of very consistent top 15, top 10 finishes. Yeah. And Ross is a guy that I have said for years now, is one of the 40 best people in the world at doing this. He is. And now he's starting to click a little bit up there at the cup level. And he's on a good team. We would consider Chip Ganassi racing right now probably like a B-level team in the cup series, right? Um, And that's not a slight to them, but it's like, yeah, Hendrick is a bigger team. And Stuart Haas is a bigger team. And Gibbs is a bigger team flagship team okay so they're kind of on that second level very competitive and probably could win a race and i think ross is going to be the guy that does i mean he's been the one that has shown that occasional super duper flash of speed uh, like he had yesterday and how uh, interesting that we have a kyle larson win and a ross chastain second place where <laughs> the universe kind of aligned here uh, with with Kyle's former ride, uh, finishing runner-up to him. Um, look, I'm happy for Ross. Uh, I know Ross has had a little bit of an up-and-down start to the cup career there, but, man, uh, as somebody that's raced against him a lot, I know that he's one of the better drivers in the sport right now. Uh, he absolutely belongs up there. He absolutely deserves the ride that he's in, and uh, I'm, I'm just happy to have see him having success. Yeah, I, I when I went and make my race win picks for the whole year, I I picked him to win the second Darlington race of the year as a, as a hey, wild card sneaky pick. Sneaky pick. Can do it. Sneaky pick. But I think they'll do very well uh, th- towards the rest of the season. They're catching strides. And like um, someone was saying in the booth, but I mean, I've said this all year, is that that package kind of fit Ross. Ross's driving style, the higher horsepower, lower downforce package moving around in the grooves. It kind of fit Ross Chastain's driving style and everything seems to fit Kyle Larson in the five team, but I appreciated um, with NBC. It was the return of NBC sports this weekend and man that they were showing, I tell you, I don't know if you've watched the Xfinity broadcast yet since the race, but they were showing a lot of action throughout the field and I loved it. I mean, the, the racing was great this weekend to begin with, but I felt like it was a great return for NASCAR and NBC. There was a lot of action going throughout the field. Xfinity race was crazy. I mean, the, um, man, he had the battle for Kyle Busch won, but he didn't, he didn't win it easily. They, <laughs> they were fighting them. There were some big wrecks going on. You probably got uh how, how close were you to when Austin Sindrick destroyed the, the front stretch wall? Yeah, I was right behind that. Uh, I managed to get it back down in time. There were cars all over the place, and that is uh, kind of becoming our, our weekly talk on the pod in the Xfinity series is we wait till about 50 laps to go, and then we're going to have about seven cautions, which is yeah. uh, what, what happened again. We, we ran a clean and green first segment uh, in the Xfinity race, just fired off 45 laps straight, uh, which is rare for us, I can say. Um we got that final caution there with about 50 to go. And I said, okay, 
this has gone pretty pretty green all yeah. all race long um this is good for us we were on the lead lap we were running 18th uh and i was like all right make some adjustments have a chance at the top 15 here and then uh kind of all heck broke loose where we started wrecking a bunch of cars everybody um Everybody got wrecked, including me, on the last lap for no apparent yeah. reason. That was uh, interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little disappointing. Uh, for those of you who who haven't seen it, you you can see it uh, on my Twitter. Uh, just a little bit of a, a late race uh, incident there on the last lap. Come, uh, we had already taken the white flag, went down to turn one. Uh, I was running the third groove. Uh, we were basically three wide for fifteenth. And uh, Justin Haley made a pretty aggressive move, we'll say. That was down to the down to the apron. You're just trying to go for the fourth lane down there. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I don't really know how that was going to work out. So basically, ran into to JJ Haley. Yeah, he wiped out JJ Haley. Come on. And and then ran him into me, and then that knocked the whole uh, whole rear end off my car. And uh, flat tire wound up finishing twentieth, which you know I'm not so much mad about finishing twentieth. I mean, we get a top twenty. it's a few points. Yeah. That's disappointing, but tearing my car up for, for 15th or 16th, uh, is pretty, pretty disappointing there at the end of the race when you run, uh, that many, that many miles <laughs> without a scratch on the car. Um, yeah, that's a little disappointing, but look, Nashville, I can tell you was a good racetrack. We had a lot of concerns coming into it. It was a good racetrack. Is it a perfect racetrack? Absolutely not. Right. There are flaws to it. It probably does need to have a little bit more banking to it to allow us to really, truly move around a little bit more. Uh, it's very aerodominant, but it does force teams to make a compromise between short track breaks and a lot of downforce. And that is a tough compromise to make. And you saw cars having equipment failures up there in the Cup Series with brakes on fire and brakes blowing up. And that happened in the Xfinity Series as well. So it's a tough racetrack. And, and I think the fact that it is a little different is a good thing when we're talking about a 33 race schedule. And it felt like an event and credit to Nashville super speedway for this, a complete makeover of a facility to turn it into what I felt like was as nice a facility as we have raced at all year, all two years. I mean, it looked incredible. Now, I will say there seem to be a lot of issues logistically getting in and out of the track. Uh, Some of the policies uh, that Dover Motorsports has instated about coolers and the campground stuff. Okay, look, I get it. And I'm not a fan, so I don't have to deal with all that. And I get that it was a problem. I have no doubt that a lot of that will be addressed next year. Now, what I worry about is – did that leave a bad enough taste in everybody's mouth who came out for this that maybe they don't want to come back next year? Because because I heard they had a thousand campground spots and sold every one of them. That is so awesome. They had forty thousand seats to sell for the Cup race on Sunday. Sold every one of them. That is awesome. That's what we want in NASCAR: an electric crowd, a cool venue, a unique venue, something that feels like an event. And we want that every weekend, right? Nashville delivered on that. And we got to give them the benefit of the doubt here by going, look, they hadn't hosted a race in 10 years. There's going to be some kinks here. They're going to get the fan feedback. I hope everybody comes back next year. I think it was a really fun show. 
Exactly. Um, sold out every seat. It was electric. I mean, it is a different track. I mean, it's not your typical cookie cutter mile and a half because it's not a mile and a half. It's like the corners. It's not as banked. You had the resin in there. The, the grooves widen out. It was. It made for some really. It felt good like racing. a short track. It felt like a really, really fast version of Iowa Speedway. Is what it felt like to me. The difference there being it was a lot flatter, and it just felt like you couldn't get your car to hook up in the middle like you could at Iowa. You kind of had to run the top or the bottom, but it was a natural groove that developed on both both sides of the racetrack there. And if your car was better than the car in front of you, you could get around them. It was just tough. And it's like, I'll admit, I got held up multiple times behind other cars and was trying to find a way around them. And it's frustrating. But I know that when I did pull off a pass, it was rewarding. And that's fine. Like, th that's what we live in, man. We live in an aero world. And so at a track like this, Arrow is going to have a lot to do with it, but it was able to be overcome, as you saw, by tire strategy, uh, pit strategy, uh, natural speed, passing cars. Like other guys did it better than I did, right? So I can't sit here and complain about it. Uh, that was the track we had to work with. And for all of our fears going into it, RJ, I, I don't feel like any of those fears were really well-founded. I felt like the track performed as well as it could have. Yeah. People were questioning test in the area. They were like, man, how's this Nashville area? And I thought it went incredible. That was great. Yeah. I mean, it was electric. You had the pre-race stuff going on. I mean, there were celebrities there. I mean, Pitbull was there. You had Brad yeah. Paisley doing the pre-race show with Dale Jr. And this was our third new track, basically new place of the year. Uh, we have had Bristol Dirt, we had Coda, and now we have Nashville Super Speedway. Bristol Dirt, in my opinion, was a show, right? It was just a show. This Nashville, it was this this was a show and a race. Most importantly, a race. Like this was a yeah. real race weekend. Drivers were fighting the cars. I mean, there was strategy. I mean, fuel mileage and I haven't. I feel like I haven't heard of fuel mileage in a Cup race in so long, and. Wow, we got it in that final stage. Even with stage racing, we finally had a, a few mileage race to the end. That was really cool. Different strategies. They were keeping track of it uh, on the broadcast. A weekend of qualifying, which added some storylines to the race. Qualifying. Eric Almarola. Eric Almarola won the pole yeah. for the race and finished fourth. I was skeptical. I was like, okay, qualifying to the pole. Yeah, maybe he's trimmed out. They just went to the pole. Okay, how long till he, they fall back to 20th? And he stayed up there. He was up there running top 10 all day, got himself up to fourth to the end of the race. Kevin Harvick right behind him in fifth. And now I know Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe will be back there in the results, but Briscoe was running top 15 all day, uh, got some stage points, pulling some strategy at the end, held his own ground. Cole Custer qualified up in the top 10, was running up there all day. Both of them had some mechanical issues. Everyone's brake rotors were exploding and falling off, and I don't even know what was going on with that. But um, unfortunately – Well, look, and I, RJ, I can tell you a little bit about that, right? So let's let's let the audience kind of understand what's going on here. So, Pete, there was a lot of guys that felt like going to Nashville Super Speedway, we really wouldn't use a lot of brake. And so you're going to run smaller rotors that are going to get a lot hotter you're not going to run your big short track rotors, your big short track calipers on a track where you think it's going to be primarily downforce and not a lot of brake. Now, what we realized is with the 750 package on a cup car, and even in our Xfinity cars, you were actually using a pretty good bit of brake. And so guys were overheating the rotors. And they can only take so much, 
right? They can only take so much heat before there's a lot of fade and eventually failures. And that's what you saw. And, and really in the cup cars, that was happening even more than it was happening in the Xfinity race. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really smart people involved in these decision makings uh, for those cup teams. They made a decision to go with lighter weight brakes, more aero, uh, trimmed out a little bit more with the brake package, and it bit them. I mean, it absolutely bit a few of those teams. Yeah, and and that's something we'll learn, right, for the next race. And, you know. Yeah, that's, that's part of going to a new venue, right? They didn't have a yeah. notebook on it. Exactly. And some people, I mean, people that didn't even have troubles that, you know, resulted in them ending in the wall. There were, everyone was complaining about brakes, almost everybody on the radios, brakes going to the floor, brakes not working, brakes, brakes, brakes. Everyone was complaining about brakes. So even if yeah. it didn't end up in a uh, destroyed right side uh, into the wall, I think the worst hit I saw was, I think it was probably Blaney's going into one that race that was a that was a huge hit because i mean the speeds like you talk yeah. about it being like a, a faster iowa i know the broadcasters were comparing like okay maybe the corners even like martinsville and a straightaway you know because you're going fast in the straightaway slow in the corners and i mean they were reaching i think cup cars are reaching up to uh yeah i know we're talking about cup cars and speed finally they were reaching up to about 181 yeah. i think 181 yeah. i think into the i think our average speeds in the xfinity series we were around the 150s kind of mid 150s um i think cup cars were in the high 150s you yeah. know at, at times so yeah i mean that's a fast place man when you're driving off into turn one there you're going in an xfinity car high 170s uh, driving off in there and the tire wear, there was a little fall off and it was, it was gradual, right? So you, you were maintaining pretty fast speeds for a pretty long time in the run. I think my fastest lap of the race came on like lap 27 of the race or something like that. So that's really weird <laughs> when something like that happens. Uh, so the tire was holding up pretty good. Um, and that's sustained speed, right? That's sustained braking. When the tires are falling off, well, you're slowing down. All right, but they weren't really slowing down that much. They, they were still getting after it pretty good, and that's what's wearing those brakes out. That's what's wearing those cars out. And, and you saw guys really having to manage that, and I think, yeah, that's part of the job. That's part of what we do. Like, I can sit here and tell you on the Martins Motorsports side, do we have a perfect handling car? No, but I knew right away. I said, oh, man, I'm going to burn the brakes off this thing if we keep running like this, and I changed a little bit about what I was doing. I probably gave up a little bit of speed, but I thought about it and went, you know what? I, I got to make this thing last for 180 laps around this place. And that's just part of what you got to do, right? Yeah. Sometimes you got to take a little bit off the fastball. Some of those guys didn't do that. And, and you see what happened. Yeah. Do you think, I know a lot of people were talking about the tire that they brought. Do you think next time they'll bring a, a softer tire? Yeah. I think that's the natural progression of this, right? We, we had to learn what the track could take. You had to kind of err on the side of caution a little bit. You saw there was a difference in new tires compared to old tires, but it had to be a really significant tire difference, right? It couldn't be just 15, 15 laps, 20 laps. That wasn't enough. It had to be like end of a run to fresh tires, right, for it to really be a big enough difference to be able to make some of those passes. So that tells me they're going to want to soften that up a little bit. Yeah, and, and that'll be good. I know a lot of the drivers were talking about, you know, softer tires and probably yeah, absolutely for softer tires for the racing and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah the uh we want we want to see better short run speed and and worse long run speed, right? That's we just want to see a bigger spread because I think right now the way in the in the Xfinity car that was, it was like maybe 
eh, from the start of a run to the end of a run was like seven tenths, seven or eight tenths, yeah. maybe a second. You, you'd like to see most of the tracks that we go to for there to be a second and a half, two second type of fall off beginning of a run to the end of a run. Yeah, exactly. That was probably the one thing it was missing a little bit. You know, some guys were in the cup race. I noticed were staying out at the end of stages uh, and, and, you know, not maintaining their ground to Kyle Larson, but maintaining their ground to everybody else um, finishing like second, third, fourth. But one, I know we do a lot of drivers. We do some uh, driver shout outs here and there uh, on the podcast. I want to give a shout out to uh, JJ Yaley um, real quick. Uh, running three races this weekend, trucks, yeah. Xfinity Cup. Didn't qualify for trucks. I mean, I know he's, he was running the number 49 truck. Not exactly the most funded truck in the world. And um, and admittedly out of his own mouth, almost missed the Xfinity race. Almost. Like dangerously close to missing the Xfinity race. So, man, we talk about this qualifying thing in the Xfinity series and, and in trucks. There was a lot of pressure on those teams, right? Everybody in the Cup series knew they were making it. Down in the Xfinity series and the truck series, there were a lot of guys sitting there on pit road, go or go home situations. And that's why you saw number swaps and guys like Yaley getting in these cars to qualify, man. And Yaley, obviously, he had a really solid run going in that 07 car. I was three wide with him, and we both wound up getting taken out coming to the checkered flag. He was running that 51 up in the top 20 during the race yeah. in the cup series. Yeah, I really impressive. Wow. He, he's good, man. He's good. And that's one thing I was thinking about for, for next year. We can talk about uh, next gen real quick. 2022 charters, college racing got, got two charters um, yes. from Spire Motorsports and GMS racing's going cup racing. Uh, we'll go into detail. I'll go into detail that in a little bit, but man, charters are going quick. Uh, Rick, we racing. We'll see what they do with their charters. I mean, what are your, what, what are your predictions? Maybe if you have any or thoughts on what's going to happen with these charters value is up. Yeah, clearly. I think you got to look at the two that could probably get moved from Rick racing. Right. I think that's the ones that everybody is circling. Um, there's been rumors that, that petty has been willing to deal their charter, but you got to keep the number. So that's kind of like something weird going on there. I, I don't see that happening. I, I, I see them sticking around. All right. I don't see that moving off. Um, really the two that I think are willing to trade, but Rick has basically been public and said, I want top dollar uh, to his cars, right? The petty wear thing. I think that's going to be one of them that moves, right? The petty wear number. Um, and then probably another one of Rick's cars. I, I see Rick probably still holding on to a couple of them. So now who are the other ones that are going to move? I don't, I don't know. So now the question's got to be the people that are left holding the bag on this right now, if there's only two charters left to move, you got to think track house is going to be one and you got to think GMS would be the other, right? I mean, those are the only two that we know have announced they want to do it. that don't have full-time charters going into the next year. They would have to be the ones that have to be on the purchasing end of those two charters. Yeah, uh, we know track houses. I mean, they just need one to begin with. And people were some people were confused about saying, "Oh, like how did Colleg buy two charters from Spire? If Spire's only running two cars, well, one of the charters they're leasing to Track House, which they yeah. will eventually. So they basically have three. They sell two of those to Colleg, and they keep the number seven. Uh, so Corey LaJoy will remain in a chartered car for 2022. So that's how they did that. Yeah, and that was my first instinct. I'm sure a lot of fans' first instinct when they said Spire selling two charters. Everybody went, "Well, what about Corey?" And, and you know, they've just announced this new building, and they've got 
uh, new people and they're up in their game. And it's like, okay, look, they're sticking around. They're just going to be a one car team. I think maybe that's a better spot for them. Also, you got to look at who's going to be in that one car team version next year. Probably GMS, probably uh, Spire, probably the 47 car over there um, with JTG Doherty. That's another one car team, the 43 car. So there's going to be kind of this group of single car teams. Uh, we talk about Live Fast Motorsports would be in that group of single car teams, kind of mid-level to, to lower tier single car teams. Uh, I mean, track house racing, good grief. I mean, have they not shown up this year in a big way? Way, way beyond my level of expectation. So all credit to Justin Marks and uh, – and what they're building over there. I mean, man, what a, what a great looking team they've got in the works over there. And, and Daniel Suarez has obviously been doing a wonderful job over there as well. So uh, got to give them a lot of credit, but yeah, a lot of stuff in the market here. But when we read the tea leaves, what we know is junior motorsports wants charters. They've at least investigated it, right? We know that, 2311 Racing wants another charter. We know that Trackhouse is open to starting a second team. Okay, those plans might just have to come a little bit later. And here's the big thing, RJ. We know that the television rights deal is coming up in a few years, and that's what's going to determine a lot of this. Could I see the charter agreement going to a 40-car charter agreement? Yes, I absolutely could see that, 100%. Uh, and if they did that, would they do it a lot like, and I don't know how much everybody that listens to this podcast knows about financing in other leagues, but when they do an expansion in other leagues, so like the Las Vegas Golden Knights, for example, they had to pay an expansion fee, not to the NHL, because all the NHL is, is a collection of the teams, right? That's what the NHL is. So basically, when they decided, all right, we're going to start another team, a 31st team. When Las Vegas came in, they paid a sanctioning fee or an expansion fee to all of the 30 other NHL teams that were already existing, right? Because essentially what they were purchasing is one 31st of the NHL, if that makes any sense, right? So I could see NASCAR going to some version of that, right? Where they're going to bump the field up to, to 40 charters, but now those four additional teams are going to have to pay a fee to the other 36 already established teams to kind of like, you know, give them additional value on what they've already bought, right? So could something like that happen? Yeah. And then that would fulfill the needs of these other teams wanting to expand and potentially Dale Jr.'s team coming in if that is something they actually want to pursue. Exactly. So we're going to wrap up this part of the podcast, get a little intermission in here. Tommy Joe, I know you got a busy week ahead of you. You got Pocono coming up. I mean, you got any expectations for this weekend? I love Pocono. It has not ever been very good to me. Um, so we're, we're looking to kind of right the ship here. I feel like we've had, man, we've had a lot of speed here in the last few weeks. We just haven't been able to get the finish that we've, yeah. that we've been, been in the running to get at Texas running inside the top, uh, you know, 15, 16 spots at, at uh, Nashville, being 
being three wide for 15th on the last lap and getting, getting wrecked. So, uh, yeah, we, we've got to finish one of these things off, and, and I'm looking forward to Pocono. It's a unique challenge. I feel really big, good about car. Um, Diamond Gus is going to be on the car this weekend. We were sponsorless going into this. So my old buddy, David Hall, Diamond Gus stepped up and uh, they're going to help us out this weekend. Really cool. Never like going to the track uh, with a blank car. There's no reason yeah. for it yeah. uh, with what we're able to do as a team. So uh, good to have them on the car. And, and we're looking forward to just getting a stinking monkey off our back, man. I feel like we've just been dragging around this bad luck for a few weeks. It's time to shake it. Exactly. So the G machine returns. You have to fight some young guns out there. You got Sam Mayer, Ty Gibbs in the field. You know, they're bumping. Santino up. coming back. Santino's coming back. Man, it's going to be a fun week at poker. Josh, Josh Berry in the 31. Yeah. We're going to have a good, good fight up there in the, in the upper midfield. We're going to, we're going to enjoy it. All right. Should be awesome. So yeah, we'll take a quick little intermission break. We'll be back on the driver's meeting podcast. GMS racing is going to the cup series. We don't know whether it will be full-time or part-time. I'm going to expect part-time. That's at least kind of the discussions right now. Um, you know, charters, charters are going away. Talk about that in a second. Um, but charters are going to be limited. We don't know which charters are going to be available. We don't know which charters are going to be bought. So, we will see what happens with GMS Racing, but all that we know is they are going Cup Series Racing in some sort of way in 2022. So let's talk about those charters. Colleague Racing buys two charters, not just one. They bought two. We had Chris Rice on the show um, about a month ago, uh, around the middle of May, and he told us about that new shop that Colleague Racing was building, uh, the new big shop. They had big plans. And then now it's getting put into full effect as Chris Rice, Matt Colleague have purchased two charters for Colleague Racing. We know Justin Haley will drive one of those cars full-time. AJ Allmendinger will drive the other car part-time. Uh, so we'll see who else gets thrown into that fray, whether it'll be Kaz Gralla uh, or any other driver, Jeb Burton or any other driver at Colleague Racing. So as far as the Xfinity program, Matt Colleague says for sure they will have two Xfinity cars. They would love to have three, probably depending on depending on money funding uh they know aj almendingers can drive one of those cars full-time and we'll see jeb burton is in one of them uh will he retain his full-time seat next year not sure i would like to believe yes uh due to funding and stuff like that uh and then you know will they field a third full-time car could that go to kaz Gralla? could some driver come in with enough funding to get a third full-time seat uh maybe someone in the gms truck stable right now uh maybe gets that third full-time seat or anyone really um, is always going to be a great opportunity at Colleague. Uh, so where did Colleague buy those charters? They bought them from Spire Motorsports. Now you might be wondering, well, Spire Motorsports, does that mean the seven and the 77 are gone? No, just one. Uh, one of those is gone because they Spire technically has three charters right now. One of them, they are leasing to the 99 of Trackhouse Racing because Trackhouse Racing will have to find a new charter for next year. They will have to find a new charter to either lease or buy. Uh, they want to buy one, so they will have to do that. So the, the one that's currently being leased to Trackhouse and the one that fields the 77 have been sold to Colleague Racing. And we know the alliance that Colleague Racing and Spire have kind of had. So Spire is glad uh, to be able to send those off to Colleague. Said it's great for NASCAR. And they can also keep the number seven. And they could run uh, still an additional car in the future as well. So Corey LaJoy stays in that seven car. Uh, for the 2022 season, that will remain chartered uh, as confirmed by the Spire owner. So great news there for Corey LaJoy, great news for Colleague, and great news for NASCAR as far as what happened there. 
but overall 22 charter hunt. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. We know uh, that Rick Ware racing has four charters going into next year. Um, trying to get Rick uh, on the podcast and one of these next few weekends, hopefully we can get it done. Hopefully we can find a day because so that he can kind of explain what's going on over there. At Rick Ware racing kind of what they want to do for next year. But we know that I feel like they will at least sell one uh, could be two. And I think that's going to be great. I mean, for their team, I mean, the charter value is high. Uh, I believe it was just released that they paid college racing paid $10 million each over $10 million each for those charters, um, you know, from Spire Motorsports. Those charters are high. We're at a spot. We have a lot of teams interested in buying in uh, to the NASCAR cup series charter system, but who's willing to pay that high price and, and Rick Ware racing. I mean, if they can sell a few charters off for that much money, man, going to next year with some competitive uh, programs. You never know. You never know what's going to happen in NASCAR. I mean, they got a great stable. I think that's the great thing about Rick Ware Racing. I mean, I think they're in a great spot going into the next year to kind of build off of. I feel like they have a great stable of drivers to choose from. I mean, there's not really a bad pick uh, from what they got. I mean, we got a lot of road courses. So you got James Davison. Uh, you got Josh Balicki, Cody Ware, Garrett Smithley. J.J. Yaley ran uh, three races this weekend, did not qualify for the truck race, uh, but did run in all three series this weekend. Man, they, they, they got a great stable of drivers over there um, and a lot to choose from as far as maybe who could go into a full-time seat next year. Obviously, James Davison, guest on this podcast, would love to see him in one. Cody Ware would be a great option. J.J. Yaley is always a great option for anybody. I mean, J.J. Yaley is just an awesome guy, awesome driver. Josh Balicki great young choice so you never know what they could go with but that's just a few charters that could be available uh for purchase so i mean as far as these charters i mean these charters are worth a lot i mean to some teams that were originally not even thinking of selling their charter kind of consider it now because of the asking price you never know you never know what's going to happen so as far as the teams on the hunt for a charter we know Trackhouse Racing needs to look one for the 99, but they also are looking to field a second car. But the thing about Trackhouse Racing is they have said that they are fine with fielding a car next year. Probably not fine, but they will field a car next year uh, if they are not, are unable to secure a charter. So, you know, are they having sleepless nights over it? Who knows? Uh, will they find one? Who knows? You know, do they want to pay that much, you know, for a charter? And they'll probably have to look at what, uh, you know, what will it do for them financially if they run as an open car next year and maybe just, you know, go to searching for one for 2023. So we'll see. Um, 2311 Racing, we know they're expanding. They want at least a second charter for next year. And you know that they will go. Um, they will go to limits to buy it. No limits to buy it. Uh, they get that second charter. We've heard Kurt Busch is a rumored driver to go to that seat uh, if they do secure a second charter, which I believe they will. Uh, so if Kurt Busch gets that ride, 2311 racing, what does Chip Ganassi do with the one? Do they sell that charter? Do they keep it and find another funded driver? We know Sip Ganassi racing kind of, you know, the Cup Series program struggled a little bit anyways with sponsorship. Do they just sell the charter to the of the one team? Maybe run another car part-time without a charter. The options are open. We know what Chip's been doing with his IndyCar program. Uh, got four cars running there. One of them's Jimmy Johnson. One of them's, you know, champion Scott Dixon. One of them's Alex Pillow. I believe Marcus Erickson uh, is the other IndyCar. I've been getting into IndyCar a little bit this year. 
Uh, I mean, I have been in years past, not as much last year, but this year it's been really good. I suggest uh, make sure to pay attention to the IndyCar program. I mean, pay attention to all motorsports. I feel like it's doing really great right now. The F1 season is doing really good. IndyCar season, I think, has been great. As We got SRX going on Saturday nights. I mean, that's just a whole load of fun. Um, had another great race at Knoxville this weekend. We kind of get in depth about all that in a little bit. But back to the charter system, um, you know, as far as other investors, potentially, we know there are other investors. We know there's people considering buying a cup series team, you know, whether it be Dale jr. Junior motorsports, what will they do? Um, I don't think they'll be looking into it too much, but you never know. Um, but I think the most likely next charter maybe to go would be to either track house or 2311, because we know they are for sure hundred percent wanting either a second car or a charter in general for track house racing. Uh, so we'll see what happens with those charters next year. That will be cool to see. Um, but yeah, 2022 silly season is in full effect. And we know the drivers, the big group crop of drivers that are free agents in the cup series. We know some prospects from Xfinity, even prospects from the truck series. I mean, you're looking at Zane Smith, Sheldon Creed in the truck series, potential maybe starts at least in the cup series uh, and Xfinity series next year. So a lot to look out for as we head into the 2022 season. So as far as drivers without contracts yet, uh, we can kind of do the little rundown here. Uh, We know Kurt Busch does not have a contract uh, yet for 2022. His contract ends with Chip Ganassi Racing this year. And we know that he is probably the top candidate as of now, according to reports, to drive the second 2311 car in 2022. That would be the first time it would be within a Toyota, I believe, uh, what Davey Siegel noted on one of the shows we had uh, a few weeks back. Um, Could be his first time in a Toyota and would make a great veteran teammate, I believe, for Bubba Wallace and a great veteran presence for that team if he could bring Monster Energy sponsorship over there as well. Brad Kozlowski, we know what his uh, likely intents are, that he will become a co-owner of Roush Fenway Racing at the number six Ford uh, for that team. Uh, in 2022 so that kind of leaves what you're wondering what happens with the two car i mean my initial thoughts were okay well maybe that'll give us the opportunity to put austin Cindric in the two matt to benedetto in the 21 because it wouldn't be weird uh to move you know to put Cindric in the 21 while the two's open because the whole reason to put him in the 21 is to get him cropped up for a penske ride you would assume uh so you know does austin Cindric go to the two and would that lead to matt to benedetto staying in the 21 uh, I think that could happen. So um, Ryan Newman, another one that will be a free agent uh, next year. And if he does get replaced in the number six by Brad Kozlowski, it's not really expected that Roush would open up another car for him. Um, although we are unsure if that could happen, but where could Ryan Newman go? What team would be interested in Ryan Newman? What funding would he bring? Uh, as himself, as compared to what funding would just be at the number six, what funding does Ryan Newman have himself that he could bring to another team? And would teams be interested in that? We know there are rides open at Stuart Haas. We know there is a ride open, uh, could be the ride open at Chip Ganassi. If Kurt Busch ends up going to 2311, could Ryan Newman be an addition to Chip Ganassi? Kind of just, it would almost be almost like the same hire as Kurt Busch, just hiring a veteran, you know, could be alongside Ross Chastain. Would that be something worth watching? Could Ryan Newman go to the, one of the new teams uh, or could that be it for Ryan Newman? You know, I think honestly, I think Ryan Newman would be a great hire for a lot of teams 
that are just in need of an open ride, especially if he has funding. He brings a veteran presence, and we know Ryan Newman can still get it done. He's still getting consistent finishes, finished 13th this weekend at Nashville. And when the team has gotten better, we know Roush Fenway Racing is not the greatest team in the world right now, but when the team has gotten better, Ryan Newman has shown he's still got it. He's had some great runs. Chris Busher is an Xfinity Series champion. He's had some great runs for that team. So I think Ryan Newman can still get it done, and I think still should be on team's radars for next year, if not Roush Fenway Racing. Eric Amarola, free agent going into 2022. He was free agent last year and the year before um, with Smithfield. And we know Smithfield is in the driver's seat. We know sponsorships in the driver's seat for every team, but we know Smithfield is in the driver's seat here. Uh, will they retain? Will they resign with Eric Amarola? Resign with Stuart Haas Racing? You know, if they do, then I believe Eric Amarola stays in that seat. But if they don't, would Eric Amarola go somewhere else? You know, would he? Would he? Would he hang it up, or would he go somewhere else? You know, you never know. Because um, if Smithfield goes, you know, what funding would he have? Uh, to go anywhere else. So we'll see. Um, and would some of these drivers take a chance down the Xfinity series just to go race? You know, you never know. Um, Matt Benedetto. Uh, we just talked about him. Michael McDowell um, always is on kind of a year to year contract with front row motorsports. But uh, he said uh, about a few weeks back that he's not looking for any tour to pay raise. He's not looking at any other big teams. He's looking forward to continuing to build front row motorsports. Uh, into the next gen and wants to stay there. Uh, so it should be simple for Front Row Motorsports to re-sign him. Hopefully, if he can you know, maintain the funding that he has now for next year, uh, he'll likely be back in that number 34 seat or at least a seat uh, at Front Row Motorsports. Ryan Priest talked about him uh, just a little bit ago on the show. What will he do? What teams will be interested in him? Will it be someone in the Xfinity or Truck Series? Could it, could it be one of those deals where he goes back down one of those series, kind of does something that John Hunter Nemechek did, goes down to a more competitive ride in the Trucks or Xfinity to prove himself? You never know because Ryan Priest doesn't have a ton of funding. That team doesn't have a ton of funding in the 37 car right now. Um, we know he's always been a guy lingering around with KHI, you know, Stuart Haas, but he just doesn't have the money really uh, to do it. So what teams would be interested in Ryan Priest that will be interested, uh, interesting to see? Ross Chastain, it's believed that he's on a one-year deal, but I believe that Chip Ganassi will re-sign him. Uh, obviously, they've been planning for a while for him to be the future at that team, and you know, I believe that would be a great decision for them and the likely decision that they will uh, re-sign him to the 42. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, when he signed with them, it was a multi-year deal. Um not sure if it ends after this season. You know, contracts aren't very public uh, in NASCAR. Uh, charters, contracts, you know, I know we want to be like every other sports league, but I feel like those things should be made public to the fans and people like that uh, to kind of make it more like a sport if that's what they're trying to do, you know. Um, but anyways, you know, that could be the teams and stuff like that as well. Um, but that's besides the point. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I think JTG Doherty Racing, um, you know, unless sponsorship, something drastic happens, I think it'd be great to retain him. I think he's been a great fit at that team. And, you know, me and Tommy Joe have talked about that before. I mean, I felt like it was like the if NASCAR had trades, it was Chris Busher to to Roush for, for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And I felt like that was an amazing trade on both sides. Both of them are doing very well. 
uh, in their spots now and continuing to build their programs, um, which is great to see. And Alex Bowman, that's news that came out this weekend. He will, he resigned to a two-year deal through 2023. That's the same uh, contract length as Ally. So they were both being contract years in 2023. And, you know, you never know what could happen that year. But Alex Bowman, two wins this season. Rick Hendrick knew he wanted to make it a priority to re-sign him just like he did last year. But this time, it's a two-year deal. So kind of with the unknown status, um, as far as guys that we kind of don't know, we're not sure about, uh, you know, Cole Custer, not expected to go anywhere. Anthony Alfredo, we know it's kind of a year-to-year deal like uh, Front Row Motorsports usually is. I wouldn't expect him to go anywhere either, as long as he retains the funding. Uh, we talked about the Rick Ware cars. What will they do? Uh, we know that Lift Fast Motorsports staying around. Do they go to another driver next year? They've kind of run a multi-driver schedule this year. BGM Cloud was just on the show, talked about that. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure to go back and listen to it. Um, and we know Daniel Suarez is staying in the 99 for Trackhouse Racing. Tyler Reddick, very sure he will retain himself uh, at Richard Childress Racing. Um, and then Starcom Racing, uh, we know when Quinn Half signed in 2020, it was, I believe, initially a two-year deal. I'm not sure if anything there has changed, but obviously he's in the second year of his contract, so it hasn't. Uh, so will they go with a new driver next year? You know, not sure. You know, they're still kind of building their program over there um, a little bit, seeing where they can go. They're doing pretty solid on funding, uh, so we'll see what they do uh, there. So... That's kind of the driver's standpoint. We know Kevin Harvick is staying right where he is in the four. Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Truex, Logano. Your core crop of drivers not going anywhere, but still a lot to talk about um, around the series uh, as far as where drivers will go. And, I mean, there's a lot of young drivers to watch as well in the Xfinity series, you know. A lot of guys that have kind of proved themselves this year that could get a call up. Josh Berry. Josh Berry's there. Doesn't have as much funding right now. Could he get it? Could he get an opportunity for a uh, kind of a middle pack, lower team in the Cup Series? Uh, hopefully he gets full-time Xfinity ride next year. Brett Moffitt. That's a name that's always out there. Uh, needs some funding maybe to get something. Would he want to go to the Cup Series? Don't know. Mike Snyder. He uh, has some funding. Tax Slayer, Louisiana Hot Sauce, just announced Crossley Brands was on his uh, car this weekend at Nashville. Ryan uh, Landon Castle, I mean, you know, where could he go? Could he venture off from JD where he stayed there? Um, you never know these young guys. And then we talked about the people at GMS like Sheldon Creed, Zane Smith, maybe could do something. As far as getting some Cup Xfinity action next year, uh, but a lot to look forward to uh, for the 2022 silly season. So let's talk about SRX a little bit. Uh, just happened Knoxville Raceway, second race of their six race season. Tony Stewart came home with the victory that was on the dirt. Uh, so Tony Stewart dominating race, um, had some fun, had some fun. Ernie Francis Jr kind of was up there looking at him. Haley Deegan competing in that race as well. Michael Waltrip was leading laps. Uh, so it was a very fun race. Uh, they go to Eldora this Saturday night. Uh, so it'll be another full weekend of racing. That is for sure. Uh, I'm not sure if IndyCar races this weekend. I am going to check, but I do know that um, we got four Pocono races this weekend. 
Uh, we got truck Saturday, then cup, then Xfinity Sunday, then cup, uh, two cup races. We know the double header, uh, is in full effect. So, and then we have an Arca race at Pocono as well. So that'll be interesting. Uh, so yeah, no Arca race this weekend uh, until the July 4th race in mid Ohio sports course. Uh, but we know SRX is going to be Saturday nights um, at Eldora. So that'll be fun to watch. So lots of racing to look forward to this weekend. Uh, hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, so we're going to f- kind of finish off, uh, like I said at the beginning, this shorter episode, kind of talking about uh, Nashville again, recapping it back there. And then we'll preview Pocono ahead uh, in just a little bit. But Nashville. I liked it. Like I said in the beginning of the show, I really liked it. I felt like the cup race, while we still have stages, you know, mandatory cautions, I felt like that last run, stage three, was awesome. Uh, we had a caution that fell. You know, it wasn't really a caution, but fell at the right time to the point where we had some strategy going on. We had some people on some different strategies uh, that took the advantage of going, not the advantage, this advantage of being behind a lot of cars, but making sure they were good on fuel and having a little bit fresher tires. Most people at the front who kept the track position, which was basically the top 15, top 20 at that point, didn't know if they were going to be good on fuel. So there were some people that had to pit at the end. Denny Hamlin didn't save enough fuel. They didn't save enough fuel. He had to pit uh, towards the end. Uh, A lot of people were struggling. Uh, to save enough some people had to save more than others you know whether you had topped it off or not but Kyle Larson ultimately pulled up to such a big gap that he was able to save enough and pull away to the point where he won the race uh, like we talked about Ross Chastain was on the other strategy and drove himself up second it wasn't really a uh, wasn't really a fluke uh, for any of those guys that drove up there for Chastain Stenhouse I mean they had great days I mean Chastain and Stenhouse were running top 10 all day Stenhouse was top five pretty much all day um, so great runs for them, uh, like we noted on earlier in the show, but I liked it. The resin, uh, was great. It was a great race. They were able to move around and that was the thing all weekend. I mean, they were all able to move around multi-groove racing. You know, it's nice. It's nice to see what we can do, uh, what racing is produced, you know, with the high horsepower package, small spoiler, low down force, no PJ one, you know, it's nice. It's nice to see what we can do kind of a little bit more naturally uh, on the racetrack instead of totally artificializing the race. It's pretty cool how that works out, doesn't it? Get some nice racing where we don't totally artificially the, uh, artificialize the racetrack and the package and stuff like that. So anyways, speaking of artificializing the racing, we go to Pocono this weekend for the Cup Series um, where we will have – usually they put PJ1 down on the track. Uh, it's kind of weird how that works. I don't really – I don't even know, honestly. It's so weird kind of to work it in at Pocono. I don't really keep track of it that much at Pocono. They don't really care that much at Pocono anyways. It's just there. Um, But we know we have a package where it's very hard to pass at Pocono, very hard to pass um, at Pocono in this package. So we'll see what happens. Um, But back to Nashville, just to finish up the conversation about Nashville. Man, good racing. I liked it. I liked it. Good stuff, man. Cup series was great. Xfinity series was great. Truck series was great. My favorite race of the weekend. You know, I have to say cup just because it was the main event. You know, uh, they showed battles throughout the field. Great racing, great strategy towards the end. It kind of had everything I wanted, everything you would want in a NASCAR race. Uh, the Xfinity series is very good. And the truck series was great. 
as well. Just, you know, shorter shootout race Friday night um, race at Nashville under the lights, you know, and had that type of feel. And I think that was a great show as well. So glad we went to Nashville. I know a lot of people were complaining at the beginning. And I said on this podcast, I was like, you know, guys know, like one of the first few episodes when we were talking about this move and they first really announced it, it was like, man, like Nashville super speedway, man, we wanted Nashville fairgrounds. Like, well, Nashville fairgrounds ain't ready right now for a NASCAR cup series race. They're going to Nashville super speedways, to test the waters, to test the market, to test the area. How's Nashville going to do? And, Boy, I think it got an A plus, A plus this weekend. I mean, that was awesome, awesome stuff. The energy was there. The streets were packed. Music City, Music City was bopping this weekend uh, at Nashville, and I think it did a very good job. And I think we'll be in Nashville for years and years to come, maybe even decades. Uh, I don't know why, why we left there, why we stopped trying to get a race at Nashville, um, but we're back. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.